0: Hello and welcome to the Life of Gusto podcast. I'm Augusto Andres. To wrap up season one, I wanted to put together a best of 2020 show. This features some of my favorite clips, a few extended conversations, and sprinkled throughout a little bit of bonus content. I wanted to thank you all for supporting the podcast this year. It's been an amazing start. Whether you listen listened to one episode or all of them, I wanted to thank you for the downloads, for all the plays, for subscribing, and for sharing the podcast with your friends. Enjoy the episode. I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. From episode 11, outdoor adventure photographer and filmmaker, Scott Kranz. Your first climb, Ruth, Mountain. I mean, the images from just that were spectacular, and one of them ended up being your cover. Um, What did you think when you came across that scene you thought, can I top this?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, that was peak number one. And in between us, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this too often in, in talks or otherwise, but I did that first peak. I can't say that I was actually a hundred percent on doing the project.
2: Mm-hmm. I was
1: like, let's just start with peak one, see how it goes. <laughs> and, and maybe I'll know more, I'll have more confidence about whether this is possible or feasible. Mm-hmm. but having you know you know standing on on that first peak uh, um, Ruth uh, in the in the northwest corner of the national park and having experiencing the sunset we did while we were while I was standing on that that first peak and just being blown away by the magnificent vibrant colors in the sky and mm-hmm. a low cloud layer which, we sometimes are lucky to experience in Mm the, in the cascades here, that, that marine layer that kind Mm -hmm. of seeps in from the West and fills the valleys, a really special, uh, you know, thing to experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I thought exactly that. How am I going to (sighs) top this? One one thing, it solidified that, the idea in that, and my decision to go through with it. I'm like, there's no question I did, I'm doing this. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm going to march on and hopefully climb 49 more peaks right but um but yeah in terms of a visual standpoint in terms of photography standpoint which is which is always uh a component of when i'm climbing or mountaineering Mm -hmm. um was yeah i'm gonna top this that was was one of the most beautiful sunsets and, and experiences i've had
0: From episode 14, chef and restaurant owner, Leslie Burnside.
3: We make it like our own house. We're there. My staff, my average staff length at this point is about seven years. Mm -hmm. And we spend a lot of time there and we make it like our home and we're inviting people into our place. Right. right. So we try to make it comfortable and easy. Mm
0: -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I imagine, you know, that's probably something that um, you miss in your, your, your customers miss. I mean, that's especially weekends, that's the time to bring families together to, to gather yeah. the table. And
3: I mean, we miss the heck out of our regulars. I mean, there are people who walk in and they, we have an open kitchen, it's a, it's a counter with all of the cooks and see what's going on. And they mm-hmm. would see a regular customer walk in. And before their butt hit a chair, their food would be cooking. Right. Because the cooks know they who know. it is, they right. know what they yeah. have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. And we we miss our people. Right. A lot. Right.
0: Yeah. And I imagine they've been very supportive though, to your, your beloved restaurant they've been spectacular. Yeah.
3: They have been spectacular. They have I mean, some of them are are ridiculously spectacular. They'll buy a $15 breakfast and leave $100 for my guys on the floor. It's like, really, I love you. Don't do that. You need (sighs) to hang out to it because you don't know how long this is going to last. You know, um, and our core people have definitely stayed with us. We've gotten some new people Mm -hmm. um, as far as the customer base. Um, But yeah, I cannot wait we had people in the restaurant for, you know, 10 minutes a few weeks ago and it was, everybody was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) We all forgot how to do it.
0: Right.
3: (laughs) Oh my God, there's a person there.
0: (laughs) What do we do? What do we do? (laughs) What do we do? From episode five, health and fitness professional, Marcus Philly. Anyone who follows you on Instagram knows you're real active there. Um, you're posting videos of your workouts. You're sharing your, your tips, your, your triumphs, your struggles. Um, and you're, you're sharing your recipes as well. Can you talk about the choice to make yourself the f- face of your brand, um, but also the choice to use your platform to share information with anybody?
4: I had a coach early on in that 2011 range who sort of became like a mentor to me and also just was guiding my my cross my competitive crossfit journey and one of the ways that he was um at that time sort of working with clients to track the results so he was also a remote coach he actually I think lived in Calgary or uh at Scottsdale at that point so he wasn't local so I had to communicate what was happening with my training to him you know virtually and pre-instagram and pre some of the current software that we use to coach people virtually um it was all email he would send me an email and then I would do my workouts and and write him an email back and Mm -hmm. it was very (laughs) it was it was uh it was very inefficient uh, from a coaching perspective, but one of the ways that we streamlined information was, hey, I want you to post everything you're doing on a blog. So you have to start up a WordPress blog and it was marcusphilly.com and it was just like my fitness blog. And I posted every day on that for a couple of years until we found other ways to kind of communicate, but he could go and look at it. Right. And one of the things he said to me was, You have to expose everything. Like everything's got to, you know, he, he liked to say, take off the kimono and just be like naked out there in the world. Like you have to show everything. And he's like, I want you to show everything on your blog. It's like, anybody can go and look and see what you're doing that along with those, those travel blogs that I wrote, Mm -hmm. it got, it just instilled in me this, like the more I share, the more I feel like I'm part of something with other people and it really was um it 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 made it more fulfilling for me and those early blog days before social media i got so much you know so much response like i could post a clip of the blog to facebook cuz facebook was popular then and people <laughs> would read it you right, know right. a lot of people would read it yeah. and you know those 50 clients i talked about having when i left tj's gym uh, 35 of them contacted me because of that blog, mm-hmm. you know? So like it was, it was clear that there was a, there was a financial monetary benefit to posting and sharing. There was also this fulfillment that I got out of actually writing about and reflecting on my own journey and then having it impact other people, whether they paid me money or they just read it and they're like, Hey, that was a cool story that you posted. Um, but I, I just got, I got really connected to that idea of sharing. And then that really became the foundation of my business model going forward was, you know, sharing is what makes this journey, makes this journey happen for me. And so I'm just going to keep doing it. And I'm going to do it as I'm going to pour as much energy into giving out free information, content, whatever. And that has really been the catalyst for almost everything that has happened uh, since TJ's gym, because, you know, I had a I had, we had some good real estate on the corner of Shoreline, you know, and Tam Junction, and people saw it and they came in. Right. But once I didn't have a, you know, physical a nice place. physical place, it's like, well, I got to make, I got to, I got to be relevant some other way. Right. And that right. was how I did it.
0: From episode two with, Chef and entrepreneur, Hillary Jacobs.
5: I would get in trouble in class for, like, experimenting and not following the recipes the way that, like, <laughs> I was told to follow the recipes. <laughs> and she'd be like, my teacher, like, we won't name any names. <laughs> but, my, <laughs> but my teacher was like, she would get super frustrated with me because, you know, I'm just me. But the class was, it was like, the class was kind of divided into, like, you know, like, I don't want to say, like, the slackers, but, you know, like, kind of, we just like to have a little more fun in life, and then the other half was, like, very serious, and right. constantly taking notes, and right, so, so anyways, so,
0: so, so I always
5: just, like, threw in, you know, we had access to alcohol, I would always throw brandy into my desserts, <laughs> <laughs> she was, like, she would always be, like, what, what is, what's in here, and I'm, like, brandy, and she's, like, it doesn't say that on the recipe, I'm, like, but does it taste good? Like, isn't that the point? Doesn't it just taste good? But anyways. I love that. She she didn't, She, you know, authority, you know, I do well with it sometimes, but other times I'm just like, whatever.
0: Well, it's funny because I think I remember, um, I mean, so you as, a, you as a cooking student wasn't very much different from you as a high school student?
5: No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but I don't think my teacher had much, like, hope for me in the industry whatsoever. I mean, mm. I think she kind of just thought, like, you know, she, like, yeah, you can make a good dish, but, like, you don't have the discipline to to be you know what my expectation of a chef is like she definitely projected that
0: well that's interesting because so much about cooking is about being creative and and innovative right so that wasn't encouraged though
5: no it wasn't encouraged you know not until we graduated I guess but um yeah it it definitely she wasn't she wasn't a fan of it um
0: (laughs) but you stuck you stuck to your guns and you kept doing that throughout the your time there
5: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I I just, I just did me as usual.
0: From episode one with winemaker Alex McDonald. What is your quarantine name? If you figured that out, I don't know if you've heard what how to figure out your quarantine name is. Uh, No, I haven't, but, uh, but I'm sure your... there's a, a recipe to it. Um, I've heard a couple of different things. it's it's your court it's your current mood plus the last thing you ate out of your cupboard. or it could just be <laughs> the last thing you ate. <laughs> uh,
6: well, that would be um, relaxed Cheerios.
0: Relaxed Cheerios. Okay. It's cereal. <laughs> Cereal's is always a good call. <laughs> um, I just finished um, looking at Twitter, so I'm um, pissed off. Um, peanut butter and jelly
6: <laughs> I think that's a good one I, I like I think that one has to be solidified. You can't change that one as you eat new products yeah yeah that's pretty,
0: <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my perpetual mood all That's so. pretty good. I
6: didn't heard that one yet that's I' to, to
0: remember that and see how it continues to evolve. I imagine you probably like if you if somebody just called out a year you'd be able to describe the wine the conditions in the vineyard right. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, you know, it's kind of one of those
6: things is we've, you know, worked more and more is you, know, you, you, you always hear like, uh, you know, if you don't have anything to talk about, or, or you know, you meet somebody and their you know, conversation isn't flowing, the first thing people go is, oh, you know, it's really nice weather today, or, you know, and everybody in the wine industry talks about weather all the time, because it's actually important to what we're right. doing. So I, I've always felt like, uh, you know, each year you, you focus so much on the weather, because, it really dictates how that year, you know, from a winemaking perspective is going to turn out. Um, And because you're so focused on it throughout the year, it just really sticks with you. Uh, And the coolest thing is if you make the wine, you know, our, our goal is always to make a wine that represents our vineyard and that vintage. So if you do that correctly and you do it well, you can go back and drink that wine and be able to even have those triggers of like 13 being more powerful right away. You can be like, Oh, well that was the first year of the California drought and drought years lead to more concentration. So that's going to be a wine. That's going to have that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, intensity versus a vintage like 2011, which you taste and it's a little bit more um, you know, balanced a little you know less intense when it comes to ripeness and you go oh, it was a longer cooler growing season and we had you know rain throughout the fall and it it led to a vintage that you just didn't get like that over the top power but you're still able to create a wine that was elegant and beautiful um you know if you picked at the right time so it's you know you can taste the vintage when done correctly which kind of builds the trigger of remembering the the kind of season itself which is kind of fun
0: Yeah, I guess that's what's unique and special about producing wines every every year, every release. Yeah, and be different. Yeah, and
6: one one thing I always say is, uh, you know, each time you try a bottle of wine, even if it's the same wine, it could taste different. Right, and that's what makes it exciting. Versus, you know, the the vodka tonic is supposed to taste the same every time. (laughs) (laughs) So it just depends on what you're looking for. Right.
0: From episode six, nonprofit CEO, Nineveh Kaligari.
7: The other dynamic that was really powerful is I love designing lesson plans and creating experiences that are positive for young people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that Dave knew how to do that I didn't know how to do is he knew how to do professional quality publishing Mm -hmm. and how to turn those positive experiences and those positive voices into publications, newspapers, op-eds, Uh, that were at such a high caliber and the youth could see it and feel it and really felt supported Mm -hmm. um, and powerful because of that layer of professional design. I think the other dynamic that I'm not sure people remember, but when we first started, his publishing company, McSweeney's and 826 were both sharing a a space. It was sort of like a writing factory. Right,
0: he talked about that and his I talked.
7: yeah, it was, I mean, it was really, it was really very joyful. And so the youth would come in and there were literally people working on manuscripts right. that were going to become real books. And that was an authenticity that I think would be difficult, would have been difficult for me to access from the classroom. Like we all know how impactful and amazing project-based learning is, right. but to, add, to to set it in a place that is that authentic is hard, you know, when you're in a school setting. So that, was incredibly exciting to crack that open. Um, I think the other thing that I learned, not from Dave, I really have to give the, the age six volunteers credit. But one of the things I learned from the volunteers was that I um, I was so serious when I was in the classroom. I was on a social justice mission, and also on a you know I wanted all youth to. Be really enamored with history and also be enamored with our democracy and participate in our elections and there were so many things we were trying to get done and then you know you're grading and you're on a bell schedule and it's intense yeah. um your schedule's intense and the demands are intense and one of the big blessings that a26 volunteers brought back to me is just to really remember and now i now i embrace it fully is the joyfulness of learning right. and how that can create incredible wellness um, so I uh, will always be grateful to the volunteers because Dave has a wicked sense of humor. But what was different about 826 is that we employed joyfulness as a part of our planning, thinking, and executing in Mm -hmm. a very um, obvious and and, um, uh, palpable way. And -hmm. that was something that I lost at times when I was in the classroom because I was so busy and drowning and earnest. And I, and I had moments where I forgot that learning was really joyful.
0: From episode seven, physical therapist, Jim Sigilnick.
8: But yeah, I think that always in everything I, 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 every day I probably, like even in simple things, if I say, oh, I always do that. I always, I, I see, I just did it there. I, <laughs> I catch myself and I go, always and never. Try not to say those two words.
0: Right, right. Well, it's very, I don't know if you've um, studied Buddhism or looked into it all, but it's very, it's a very Buddhist attitude. Um, and it's something I, sh- I'm not Buddhist either, but I like that idea of, of, of kind of letting go of the extremes. And it's something just on, for example, with, with students when they're applying to schools, and you know, despite like everything we know about going to college that there's so many great schools everywhere, students still insist I have to have like, I have to go to the name brand school. Um, and if I don't get in, then, you know, everything's, my life's horrible, I'm horrible. Um, and so I tell them, you know, my stu- seniors, just before letters start to, or emails, Letters, I don't think they get letters anymore. They get email notifications. Um, I, I tell them, you know, think about what's the best thing that could happen and then what's the worst thing that could happen. Like, think of those two extremes. You know, like think about it or even physically write it down on a piece of paper and then like crumble those things up and throw them away. Yeah. Um, you let those extremes go and then suddenly you're open to every possibility in between. Yeah. And it's hard, sometimes it's hard to, to get young people or anybody to, to, to let go of things that they really want or things that they've been told are, are true um, or things that they've come to believe over our time. But yeah. you know, letting, letting go I think is, a big, is a big part of that.
8: I, I love how you describe that. And I think I'm, as you describe that, I'm visualizing my 16 or 17-year-old self hearing that and what mm. it would like do to me the tough thing is, and and I'm, 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 I'm assuming you, you know, this, but I'll just go ahead and say this anyway, growing up in Marin comes with a lot of psychosocial pressure, right? Right. Like there's pressure on parents to, you know, get great GPAs to go to X, Y, and Z schools to turn into this person or that person. And I had this friend in high school and maybe you'll get a kick out of this story. Uh, uh we had the same um high school counselor Mm -hmm. and in 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 this is i'm going to butcher this you're going to say oh man jim had like what the heck was he doing in high school (laughs) we we had our um uh our meetings like an hour or so apart and i went in first and the conversation was well what's your plan with school i was like oh i want to be a veterinarian and Mm -hmm. she goes hey that's great pats me on the back and i leave feeling good about myself right yeah and then my friend, we we link up at lunch, and we we're talking about. He had his meeting as well, and uh, he was crying mm. when, when on our lunch break. And I said, "What what the heck happened in your meeting?" And he goes, um, "Oh, uh, she asked me what what my plan was, and I and I told her I wasn't going to go to college. I told her I was going to like go into construction, and uh, and she just kind of made me feel bad about that. Mm. She it, it, like he kind of had this thought like." His decision was now wrong, right? Because he wasn't fitting the narrative of saying I want to, you know, go to medical school or whatever, whatever kind of thought was there coming out right. of Marin County. I don't know. And this is 1998,
6: 1999.
8: Right. And um, long story short, <clears throat> this guy uh, ended up doing some sort of trade, and then he went through um, a specialized program where he's one of maybe ten people in the state that can demolish a building with a crazy 300 foot tall crane. Yeah. And he, and he makes incredible money. Yeah. And, and I'm still friends with the guy. And we laugh at that. Right. You no. Know? Right. And we go, remember that time she made you feel like shit for, yeah. you know, your right. different kind of belief system of mm-hmm. what you're going to do with your life. And, yeah. um, and so that experience, I think, uh, kind of epitomizes what you're talking about the young mind is so impressionable. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're kind of given um, ideas, of
4: what
8: they, ideas of what they should do because of how they're perceived by others,
0: yeah.
8: that, that can be tough. I, w- I would probably say that might lead down a path of unhappiness. So in yeah. your world, it's like, I would look at that as that's the challenge, right? right. Like, how do, you, how do you guide that person?
0: And then conversely, somebody who's older who might already be stuck in a certain mindset. Trying to unlearn that, trying to let go of all that is, is probably a challenge too,
8: right? Absolutely.
0: From episode eight, artist Shane Miller. I've seen in your Instagram um, yeah, my guess is Turner is one of your inspirations or an artist that you like.
2: Growing up, I never appreciated art history. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never really spent much time studying art history. So I, I didn't even know who Turner was until people kept telling me, oh, you reminds me of Turner. <laughs> like, who's Turner? <laughs> so, you know, obviously I liked him. I was like, oh, man. Okay, I actually got to see a, a Turner exhibit here in Nashville mm-hmm. uh, just like a month ago. It's really, really cool to see. as working in person. Um, I, I feel like I pull my inspiration more so from what I'm feeling. When, when I started painting, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I use a technique to tone a canvas with with a solid color, and mm-hmm. through, through that process, you uh, naturally you get some, um, you know, darker and and light areas. That, um, so when I when I go back next session to start the underpainting I just kind of stare at what's there mm-hmm. and, and let my imagination kind of run wild and I don't, I don't sketch anything out I don't I think more in, in shapes as opposed to lines I wouldn't say I even go in with a, a, a mood it's, it's just like whatever I'm feeling that day you know it, it it's, it's a painting is like a form of meditation for me. Mm. I, I it's it's I try not to think about anything. I just like mm. try to disconnect and 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 you know get in the flow. Um, so you know sometimes they're uh, you know dark, moody, sad paintings, and other times they're uh, very hopeful and you know light. Um, but you know I, I think. I think because of that, uh, a lot of people can connect with my work because the universal feeling that ev- you know everyone feels sadness and happiness and sense of longing and hope. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's um, I don't know maybe maybe it's a mirror in that sense too. Right. You know maybe the, I want my work just to be a catalyst, right? A um, a conduit for for people to reflect on what they're feeling or Mm -hmm. process their emotions you know Mm -hmm. what I mean right it it I run into this often um you know I I depict I paint a lot of clouds and kind of storms and uh have um, an area of light and and people will ask like uh are are you going into the storm or coming out of the storm Mm -hmm. and I always I, I, I love that question because it's it's up to the viewer to decide. And I think the viewer will see it one way or the other, depending on what they're going through in that moment, you know, Mm -hmm. in their life.
0: From episode 12, writer and journalist, Lindsay Tremuda.
9: I think it goes both ways. I think women need to, um, remember that they often they're not working if they're not working through their issues of confidence as well they're not going to help themselves when they do get that seat Mm -hmm. um but on the other hand it also requires men to sort of leave that seat and also help them get to where they need to be if they see that that's happening right um so it's it shouldn't be such a like a best-in-class example when it happens. Unfortunately, right. we're in 2020 right. and it still needs to be called out, but one day I hope it isn't. Mm-hmm.
0: You, know? you know, that reminds me of, um, again, another rabbit hole that I fell into, uh, discovering, <laughs> discovering Leila Slimani. Um, yeah. And hearing her talk about, um, it was an interview where she was talking about books and something that she said about Madame Bovary struck me and kind of connected me to to your book. She said that, you know, Emma is, is supposed to be happy. She's achieved a certain level of, 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 of uh, you know, she's got families married, and she's supposed to be content with what she has. Um, and society tells women just be happy, don't worry your pretty little head, don't ask for more, um, but that it's okay to ask for more. And I think that's maybe one thing that binds all these women is that they'll have different stories and some struggle and others don't, but they're all asking for more for themselves, for, for others. For her, her country um and it's something that that society needs to do better is to give the same kind of permission that we give men to kind of reach mm. for the stars and do everything and like you can be be the best to do that and not put obstacles in in girls way women's way
9: you just nailed it i can't even you've just said it better than anyone has has said it i mean you're right that really now that you've you've brought in that um I think I have seen the video you're talking about, where she says that, Layla. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a perfect way to connect all of these women. Um, nothing else to say. That's <laughs> like it was. Be- that was beautifully articulated. Well, I, I well, really do think that that is what connects them. And um, there's a lot of, of of shame that society still puts on women for asking for things mm-hmm. because it's ugly. Right, Right. that's another thing Ariane Bernard says. You know, you have to do that thing that's considered ugly by asking for what you want and, you know, taking on this quality that is somehow perceived as more masculine. But in fact, Mm -hmm. it's just that we've ignored women's demands and and needs for so long that now we have to do this thing that others might think is ugly to get what we need and deserve. Um, Right,
0: and it happens early too. I was just struck by, um, what was it? Rebecca Ansalam, um, mm-hmm. she gets in trouble in school for sort of saying she wants to be president, I mean, I, because it's not but possible. But you know, that's a
9: good example, yeah. yeah. Well, you know how the French already love to say that everything's impossible it's until impossible. it's not. <laughs> right. Um, but you know that, how do you shoot down a seven year old or an eight year old who's, even if, she, even if like her, her heart wasn't really in it, it doesn't matter. Right. Why shoot that down at that right. age? Yeah. Um and certainly she would learn soon enough anyway that you know women (laughs) were in the political space were not given much um much room. But yeah, you know, come on. And it does so as you say, I mean, it starts young. Mm
3: -hmm.
9: It really starts. Um, and that's not to say that you know, there are many other countries that make it, you know, super easy either. But you know, at the very least in the States, you know, I remember growing up and 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 perhaps this depends on where you grew up in the States. Um, You know, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Um, If you said the most unrealistic thing about what you wanted to be when you grew up, no one was going to say, you know, how ludicrous it was. Mm -hmm. Just like, well, believe in yourself. And actually, I have friends here who have, you know, um, experienced... French friends who have experienced, you know, American culture, and especially within the education system. Mm-hmm. And the fact that here you, you know, it's a very discouraging, right? Um, almost like a put down model, you know, like, y- you need to do better, you know, right. there, there's not the same enthusiasm for effort, you don't get the same push, you're not told to speak up, even if you don't have the right answer, you know, mm-hmm. and so that I think really creates a certain type of person who comes up in the world. Right. Um And so while we can criticize America for 10 billion things, I feel very grateful to have gone to school, you know, primary school and everything in the U S because I don't think I, my personality would have survived the kind (laughs) of treatment here in the education system, you know? So, and you're a teacher, you know how students react to feedback.
0: Words are powerful. They can encourage and, or discourage and shut down dreams. And, you know, I've, I've heard that from many students in the past that, Something that that I've said has encouraged them, or in the, in the reverse, sometimes something I've said is, has has made them quiet. So I have to be cognizant of, of, right. of my words and right.
9: But you know, in France, I think you know when you when you start to notice, not it's not to say that all French people are negative, but they have a different view on life mm-hmm. and 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 a view on work and everyday situations. And there's there's often. Um, you know, they use negations a lot when they're actually saying something that's a bit positive,
0: Right.
9: you know, and that's a, that's a very interesting cognitive, you know, thing going on. Mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. I just find it fascinating, but I, for me, it goes back to education.
0: From episode four with high school counselor, Alex Hunt. What is that? Yeah, one song that you belt when no one's looking.
10: Oh wow. I mean, there's so many, of course. I, I mean, know. because obviously I belt Hamilton like no other in the shower. Um, but I love Black Velvet by Alana Miles.
0: <laughs> Ooh. That's a great song. I haven't heard that one in a while.
10: Oh my god, it's so fun to sing. And that's you know such a good anything, song. anything by Pink as well. You know, yes. Pink has really good songs to belt out. For sure. And sadly, I will also say Beautiful by Christina Aguilera, even though I can't believe I just admitted that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's no shame in liking Tina.
10: (laughs) (laughs) But yes, um, in terms of musicals, I will always, right now, just because it's so fresh, you know, I will belt Hamilton in the shower pretty happily.
0: Okay. On a road trip, if you could only take three songs with you.
10: Ah. you Yeah. What would those be? Three songs? I don't know that I can actually answer that question. Um, okay. You have to.
0: It's my show, so you have to answer.
10: Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, one of them would probably have to be a Bob Seger song. Um,
0: okay. That's a left field.
10: I know. I know. But um, Bob Seger and John Mellencamp have special places in my heart. Like, And they're good road live- trip songs, for Yes, Bob Seger, John Mellencamp, and Huey Lewis are all like amazing road trip music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to just like rock out to them and sing them. Wind flowing in your hair. It's great. <laughs> for sure. You know, Cherry Bomb. Hello. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then I also okay. So I will say because we're we're kind,
0: of, kind of moving away from the whole musical theater.
10: I know, now. but I'm going to come back to it in that I do have a okay. tradition with um, my my friend Kelly. She and I, we used to take road trips down to Santa Barbara all the time in L.A., and we would just put on Rent and sing it at full volume the entire way, and we would switch off the parts. So whatever, you know, person was singing, I would take that, and then she would take the next person, and we would just go back and forth. Like Rent is always a good in the car belting musical.
0: Right. Yes. They sound like very complicated road trips with multi um, parts, people moving parts, people singing different parts and things like that.
10: You know, singing in the car (laughs) is maybe one of the funnest things to do with people if you can get people to be comfortable with it. Uh, You and I have done it. Um, My friend Kelly and I have done it. Our friend Christina Amoroso, we've done it. We do wicked. Christina and I can do Wicked in the car and it's amazing, you know? Gravity <laughs> at full, like, it's, yes. well, it doesn't sound good, but it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> Says who? They always ask you that question. If you could have another career in your life, what would you do? And I'd be like, I'd be on mm. Broadway. <laughs> if I had talent, but I don't, so therefore, I will just love it from afar. If
0: you've made it this far, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big shout out to all of my guests from this past season. I hope you found something enjoyable, interesting, or maybe even inspirational from listening to our conversations. We've got about a week left in 2020. It's been a crazy, crazy year to say the least. Hope is on the horizon. Come back in 2021 for more conversation about finding your way and living a life of gusto. Take care everybody, bye-bye.